I will call upon the Lord, so shall I be saved from my enemies. Welcome back to Hackberry House, a podcast devoted to the Word of God and the persecuted church of North Korea. My name is Bob, and this is podcast number 318. Uh, And this podcast is being prepared for Sunday, November 8, 2015, being prepared on the 7th, actually. Well, let's call upon the Lord with those who languish in North Korea in their concentration camps, their impoverished villages, wherever they might be. A nation of prisoners is what I present to you today in a desire, a request for prayer for them. Reading to you from Hackberry House, Volume 1, Two Years with North Korea, that I put together a few years ago. I'm on page 53 if you happen to have a copy of it. We're talking about the prisons of North Korea. It's what the Bible says, remember the prisoners. I have to keep them before me on a regular basis or I forget. American life is brutal in its pursuit of happiness. Pleasure and comfort are the gods that we lift up here. Christians must be careful not to get caught up in it all and lose sight of the lowly Christ who's still suffering in his people. Here's a picture painted by David Hawke in his latest book, Concentrations of Humanity, published by Freedom House. The work shows how Kim Jong-il, the father of our present dictator, is guilty of crimes against humanity and needs to be brought to justice. Of course, our concern is the pain of our people, God's people, many of whom suffer in these prisons. Here's what David Hawk says. The penal labor encampments are located in the mountains and mountain valleys in the remote interior of north and north-central North Korea. They cover huge areas, miles long and wide. The outer perimeters are surrounded by barbed wire and guard towers, except where the mountain ranges are considered impassable. The encampments have multiple thousands of prisoners who are housed in scattered areas or discrete villages for different categories of prisoners in the valleys or at the foot of the mountains. Since prisoners or single prisoners live in dormitories and eat in cafeterias, the families live in tiny shacks, sometimes multiple families, to a single dwelling. Prisoners come into the camps in one of two ways. Suspected wrongdoers or wrong thinkers are picked up by officers of the state security agency, detained in small cells and subjected to intense and prolonged interrogation, almost always accompanied by beatings and severe torture, after which they are dispatched to one of the prison labor camps. Initially, at the camp, they express relief at being able to supplement their meager rations rations by eating grass and other edible plants, and being able to stand up and walk around. The new prisoners coming straight from North Korean society describe their shock at what they see. Walking skeletons, covered in dirt with matted hair, from the inability to bathe or wash regularly. Dressed in tatters and rags, many with hunched backs from bent over farm labor, many hobbling about on stick crutches, having lost arms and legs to mining or 
logging accidents or minus fingers or toes lost to frostbite. It'll be only a matter of months before all the food stores the new prisoners have brought from home are consumed and all the clothing and household goods have been bartered away for food until all they have left from their previous civilian life are the clothes on their back, the shoes on their feet. And these would shortly be dirt-covered, tattered, and torn. These prisoners put considerable mental anguish into trying to figure out what precisely caused their family this dreadful turn of fate. End of quote. May God have mercy on his people. Those who don't know the Lord yet, may God save and rescue them, body, soul, and spirit. Oh, God, bring great deliverance in North Korea. Help us not to forget and to share some of this mental anguish with them. And then uh, the next section is called Roaring Mice, Naked Kings, and the Danegeld. Well, here we go. Once one is tuned into the North Korean crisis, there's no end to the connections that begin to form. The reminders, the warnings, the obvious comparisons. You take the 60s movie, The Mouse That Roared. It was an awful movie, but the storyline, based on the original book, sounds very much like someone we know. The head of a minuscule government decides to wage war on the United States, deliberately lose, and then sit back and collect all the goodies that the great and forgiving U.S. government always doles out to its enemies, like Japan. But what about Hans Christian Andersen's classic, The Emperor's New Clothes? A proud king refuses to hear obvious truths from his advisors or people and makes an absolute fool of himself. But in the light of current talk about yet another coming meeting of the great powers, as was going on a few years ago, where promises will be made and threats will be submitted and aid will be extorted from nations who fear North Korea's weapons, the following Kipling poem is the most appropriate piece for the day. It's always a temptation to a rich and lazy nation to puff and look important and to say... Though we know we should defeat you, we have not the time to meet you. We will therefore pay you cash to go away. And that's called paying the Danegeld. And we've proved it again and again that if once you have paid him the Danegeld, you, you never get rid of the Dane. So when you're requested to pay up or be molested, you'll find it better policy to say, we never pay anyone Danegeld, no matter how trifling the cost. For the end of that game is oppression and shame, and the nation that plays it is lost. What was the Danegeld? Well, that was the English tax paid to the Danish-led Vikings to keep them from raiding English land. You say, well, that's ancient history. You know what? It's not. It's a Muslim thing, too. When Sharia law takes over uh, nations that are not Muslim, uh, in many cases, the citizenry who do not really want to become Muslim, are simply offered the chance of giving money, a tax. And if they will just pay that tax, then the government and the rest of the people won't kill them, won't 
destroy their homes and take everything away from them. No, that sort of mentality still lives. Let's talk about the aquariums of Pyongyang. 35 years ago, we will say about that, a 10-year-old boy entered a North Korean labor camp with his family. This is a true story. He lived to tell about it. It was the first story of its kind. It was called The Aquariums of Pyongyang. It was by Kang Chok Hwan. The family was among the many that had, a generation earlier, relocated in Japan and become strong supporters there of socialism, communism, and, and North Korea. With the rise of Kim Il-sung, the family was enticed to come back to the fatherland and complete the reforms that were so badly needed there. This very rich but very dedicated family moved back to a near hero's welcome, but growing suspicions about their wealth and their con connection to the traditional foe of Korea, Japan, slowly led the family from fame to ghastly impoverishment. The entire family was arrested and a new life begun in one of Kim's infamous re-education centers. To get to a North Korean camp, one must be either a, a landholder, a capitalist, a U.S. or South Korean agent, a Christian, or members of purged party circles deemed noxious to the state. Division is made then between redeemable and unredeemable prisoners. Once classed as unredeemable, life is over. Your only worth to the state is hard labor. You'll be taken to work at secret sites since there's no hope of you taking those secrets anywhere but to the grave, and you will work until you drop dead. Redeemables like, like Kong have a chance. They're taught the Kim propaganda. They are thoroughly redone in their thinking processes and after a number of years released to live their new life as a trusted member of society. Now I present all these horrid but true stories on this site and in this book to encourage you to pray for North Koreans that in their distress they'll call upon the name of the Lord and that in calling they will unleash the power that the Kim dynasty cannot withstand. Oh, what a day of reckoning is coming to those who have abused humanity and the children of the living God. We'll talk more about Kang Chol Hwan another time. Yes, and here's the next. We're on number 36. I'm just reading you piece after piece. It's it's somewhat disconnected, but I think you see it's the same theme in each one. Yes, all of North Korea is a prison. If by prison one means a place from which escape is unlikely and conditions are difficult. But there are prisons within the prison, such as the Yodak camp in the northeastern section of the country. We continue our trek through the book Aquariums of Pyongyang with a look at the escape possibilities. When 10-year-old Kang Cholhuan arrived at the camp, he was educated quickly about what to expect by another, another kid that was there. The kid then 
I'm quoting, the kid returned to the subject of escape, which was clearly dear to his heart. Only once had he heard the sirens go off and seen the security agents form into search parties and head up into the mountains. It took a while, but they eventually came down with their prey. The escaping prisoner had been stopped mid-course, well short of the summits he had hoped might spell freedom. He was tortured for a week or two, then executed. The punishment for attempted escape is execution, no exceptions. The guards make the whole village come out to watch it. Yeah, you got to be really crazy to try to escape. On the other hand, sometimes you got to be even crazier to stay, especially if you're all alone, without family or friends. The work is hard, and there's hardly ever enough food to take the edge off your hunger. You have to stick together help each other out, and remember, don't trust anyone. End of quote from the book and the child. Then from the brigade leader in charge of orientation, this quote, you people don't deserve to live. But the party and our great leader have given you a chance to redeem yourselves. Don't squander it and don't disappoint him. Well, what were you doing as a 10-year-old child? Can the worst of your childhood memories compare to anything like this? Pray for North Korea. Let's do one more. Called Going to School in a Forced Labor Camp. We're still in that book. Facts gleaned from the, the aquariums of Pyongyang. Written back in 2000. So why go to school at all? Because the North Korean government believes you're worth saving if only you can be reprogrammed. Here are some odds and ends about what it means to be a student in a concentration camp. Teachers show dis total disregard for the well-being of the student. Now, they address us in the harshest, crudest manner. Hey, you idiot in the third row. It was quite common for them to beat us. Teachers wear revolvers. They start with yelling, they graduate to insults, and then to beatings. Asking questions of the teacher can earn you a slap across the face to the delight of your fellow students. Among school punishments is latrine duty. Tardy students can get a week of that. A boy who complained of such duty and insulted the instructor was beaten savagely until he fell into a septic tank. With much effort, he got out. No one cared to help clean or heal him. A few days later, he died. Day begins before seven with cleanup of room by students. Seven to noon, studies. One hour rest, minimal food. Rest of the day, manual labor. Quota system. Groups of five not released until quota reached. Oh, North Korea needs some good news, don't you think? We have it. We have it. And it's getting in. It's getting in. The good news has gotten into North Korea to a few here and there. Would you pray God would raise up laborers to go into the harvest fields, yes, of North Korea? There are many who come out who want to go back, partly because they're disappointed in South Korea, but partly because they just love North Korea. It's their home and they want to go back and tell others about the Jesus they found here. 
So much to pray about, so much to think about. God bless you for being here today. I want you to remind to remind you to email me at bob.j.faulkner, F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R, dot 72 at gmail.com or send a voicemail or text to 847-852-6873. You can ask me a question or suggest a topic for study or just say hi. It's so good. I've been receiving messages from some of you and it's a fun thing I got to say. I appreciate your encouragement and keep it coming. That's fine. And I hope that I can help you in some way. Tomorrow, we're going to, that is Monday, listening to me tonight on Saturday, but Monday, we're going to talk about fellowship. What is it, biblically speaking? You want to ask yourself when it's all over, are you in fellowship in the biblical way? Hope to talk to you then. God bless you. Good to be with you. Remember, we started with Psalm 18.3, I will call upon the Lord, so shall I be saved from my enemies.